Father, we do just praise you and thank you for this morning as we have come together to worship you, to praise you, and to honor you, and to exalt your son Jesus. And Father, I pray as we look into your word that you would help us understand and grant us wisdom that we might uh, grow closer, that we might grow in the grace and knowledge of your son Jesus, so that you would be greatly magnified. We pray this in his precious name. Amen. Well, why did you come here today? Why did you come to church? Did you come here because it's Sunday and that's what you do? Did you come here because you have to? Did you come here uh, because you wanted to see um, your friends? Well, there's nothing wrong with any of those things. Those are all good things. But uh, what is the motive for why you came today? Was it to worship the Lord? Was it to worship the Lord? Well, today we're going to see from the book of Matthew three differing responses to the birth of Christ. Three differing responses. And it's going to expose where really the hearts of humanity are in relationship to the Lord Jesus Christ. So would you turn your Bibles to Matthew chapter 2 as we continue our Christmas uh, break here and focus on our Savior uh, who came and took on human flesh and died for our sins. Now, I mentioned this last week, but uh, for those who weren't here last week, uh, the book of Matthew is uh, written by Matthew, inspired by the Spirit of God, and it was written sometime after uh, the Lord's ascension and sometime before the destruction of Jerusalem in 70 AD. And we know that Matthew was a sinner, or Levi, his formal name. He was a tax collector, and he was called to repentance, and he followed Jesus Christ. He followed him. He became a believer. And as I shared last week, the Gospel of Matthew is very Jewish in a sense, has many Old Testament quotes, and these quotes point to the veracity of the truth of God in the Old Testament being fulfilled in the New Testament through the person of Jesus Christ. And within that, we see that Matthew is the presentation of Jesus Christ, the King of the Jews. And with that presentation, there is the teaching of his kingdom But sadly, we've seen that there was also rejection and opposition to the king of the Jews to the point where he would be crucified, but all in accordance with God's plan for us in bringing his son to die for our sins. Indeed, in chapter 1, the book begins speaking of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. He is the one in the line of David who will be the king who reigns forever, the Messiah who reigns forever. He is also the son of Abraham. He is the one in the line of Abraham, the seed that would bring salvation, blessing to the world, that all the nations through Abraham's seed would be blessed. The opportunity to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ would be very, uh, would be brought forth to the nations. And then we saw that he had his genealogy from Joseph's side, which pointed to his legal right to the throne of David. And then, as we saw last week, we saw the birth of Christ, the account of the birth of Christ. And we had Joseph's dilemma that Mary was found with child by the Holy Spirit. And Joseph, being a righteous and compassionate man, desired to put her away secretly. But God intervened through an angel in a dream to Joseph telling Joseph to marry Mary, because that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. And it is, you shall name him Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. And we saw that prophecy was was, uh, fulfilled in that uh, a virgin would bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. 
the tremendous reality that uh, we, apart from the Lord, apart from salvation, are separated from God. We are separated from Christ. And when we believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, our sins having been taken care of, we are reconciled to God, and God is with us, and he will never leave us nor forsake us. And that leads us to chapter 2 of the book of Matthew, where I believe we're going to see three differing responses to the birth of King Jesus. Matthew chapter 2, uh, verse 1. Matthew 2, verse 1. Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, Magi from the east arrived in Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born the king of the Jews? For we saw his star in the east and have come to worship him. Now, notice our text begins here with this phrase, Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king. Here, Matthew, inspired by the Spirit of God, is pointing out the time in which these things in our past... Notice he says here, Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of King Herod. It was after Jesus was born, after he was born. And you might remember we saw, and I mentioned it earlier, back in chapter 1, verse 21, and she will bear a son, and you shall name him Jesus, for it is he who will save his people from their sins. So back in our passage, we have the reality that God has been born. God, God, was, God took on human flesh. God took on human flesh that the Messiah has been born. Um, God existed forever, but the Messiah has been born. And we see that, and uh, we saw that in, in this place here. Notice what he says here. He says, now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea. He was born in Bethlehem. Now the term Bethlehem means it's the city of David. We see that in uh, chapter Luke chapter 2, verse 4. And Bethlehem was about six miles uh, south of uh, Jerusalem. And that term Bethlehem means house of bread. House of bread, house of bread. How appropriate that our Savior was born in a city called House of Bread, our Savior being the bread of life. You partake of Jesus Christ by faith, and you are saved. You are eternally saved from your sins. And so how wonderful that is. And so he says here, Jesus, uh, now after Jesus having been born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, again another identifier of the timing, now we have this passage here. Notice he is called Herod the king. Very interesting. We have Jesus, the king of kings and lord of lords, the king of uh, the Jews being born, and now we have Herod the king here. Now Herod, uh, Luke chapter 1, verse 5, is also called the king of Judea. The king of Judea. So who was this Herod guy? Well, first of all, Herod, uh, as he was known historically, Herod the Great was not a Jew. He was an Idumean. He was a uh, of Edomite origin. That would be Esau's origin. He was, I've mentioned this before, but he was, uh, Esau was his great, 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 great granddaddy, right? And so we have uh, Herod, and Herod was not a very nice man. He was a bad man. Uh, in, uh, before, uh, the, before, in about 4750 B.C., when he was in his mid-20s, he was named the governor of Galilee, very high position, and apparently the Romans were hoping that he could pacify the Jews, and through a trail of much blood, uh, he did so. 
And as we'll see, he was not only a violent man, he was a clever man. He was uh, a, a, a cunning, uh, evil man, uh, just uh, like, his, uh, like his spiritual father, Satan, by the way. So we'll see. Um, he was a brutal killer. Now, he was not only a brutal killer, he slayed uh, many people to stay in power. Uh, he slayed his brother-in-law, his mother-in-law, his wife. Uh, he ordered uh, sons by one wife to be put to death. He was a murderer. Uh, even Caesar said of Herod, it is safer to be Caesar's so than his son. Sow. Sow or so. Sow. I have it written so. I thought I was going to say it right this time. <laughs> uh, Herod so. All right. Like a sewing machine. Okay. Safer to be his pig, right? Okay. Um, so here, and he also was very powerful. Uh, indeed, the temple, when he refurbished it, when he refurbished it, was called Herod's Temple. Very powerful, evil man. And so back in our passage, it says, Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, Magi from the east arrived in Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star in the east and have come to worship him. What a tremendous statement here. You have these magi who are saying, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? Well, uh uh-oh, Herod, he's king of the Jews, right? This creates a problem here, as we're going to see. And notice they say, for we saw his star, speaking of the one who has been born king of the Jews. Where is he? We came to worship him. We came to worship him. It's very interesting. Uh, We have, you know, the blessed Christmas carol. We sang it earlier, We Three Kings, but nowhere does it say how many kings there are. Certainly could have been three, could have been five, could have been ten. We we don't know. But uh, there were these magi, okay? And they saw his star in the east. And indeed, they then traveled to Jerusalem. It doesn't say that they followed the star to Jerusalem. They saw his star when they were in the east back when he was born. Then they came to Jerusalem. They understood where he would be born, and they came there. Now, later on, we're going to see that the star does lead them right to the place where the child lays. And so here we have these magi. Well, who were they? Well, certainly we see they were from the east. They were from the east. And they were not Jews. They were Gentiles. They were Gentiles. And uh, now some speak of this. Some speak of this as, uh, as as these magi as kingmakers. You know, there's some people that talk about that. And although that's possible, I don't really see that anywhere in Scripture. Uh, they were coming to to uh, worship the, him who was born king of the Jews. They weren't making him king. He, they already knew he was king. You see, and so they were coming to do so. They were coming to worship uh, him who was born. Now, we know that these magi, types of magi, existed in the time of Daniel, where Israel had been exiled in Babylon. And it's interesting, uh, 600 years before this time where these magi are coming, uh, Nebuchadnezzar had appointed Daniel over all the province of Babylon. And be, be, the Lord had enabled him to interpret uh, Nebuchadnezzar's dream. And so Nebuchadnezzar put him in charge, Daniel 2.48 says that uh, he was the chief perfect over all the wise men of Babylon. And in Daniel 5.11, we see that Nebuchadnezzar had made Daniel the chief of the magicians, the conjurers, the Chaldeans, and the diviners. Now, that term magicians is in the New 
in the Old Testament Greek translation, the LXX, the Septuagint, it is the term we have in our passage, Magi, is the term we have there. And so Daniel was the head of all these guys. And most likely, as we see, Daniel, knowing he was a believer, uh, he certainly probably passed down the truth uh, concerning the Messiah who would come, who would come. And probably from Magi to Magi, uh, Daniel, the believer who wrote Daniel, inspired by the Spirit, was over all those Magi many years before. So we don't know much about them, the Magi, except possibly their connection to Daniel, possibly, and having understood that there would be a king who would be born, understood the truth of that. But what we do know is whether pagan or not, is that when they were given revelation by God, they responded. They responded. Now, what else can we observe here? Okay, so the Magi have come, and it's apparent they had some influence because they were able to, as we'll see, receive an, a hearing before Herod. Uh, probably had a large caravan, whatever it might be. They probably had uh, a lot of people with them. Uh, probably more than three at least, or could be three, but a lot of people with them. A lot of people with them. And obviously their entrance into Jerusalem was evident to the whole city because the whole city was very troubled, was troubled. Jerusalem. Likely, again, they came in a large caravan, a group of foreign dignitaries, and they are coming asking the question, verse 2, back in our passage, Matthew chapter 2, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star in the east and have come to worship him. Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? It's it's assuming that they're going to be able to tell him, that they're going to tell him, okay, he's right over here. Here he is. But no, we're going to see that's not the case. But they they understand that the king of the Jews has been born. He says, for we saw his star in the east. When they were where they were in the east, uh, they saw his star. They saw his star. Now, there's all kinds of ideas about this, about whose star it is or what it might be. Um, some say it's an unusual alignment of Jupiter and Saturn and I'm like, okay. Um, now living out here on the East coast, I noticed that big bright star there. What was that? It was Jupiter. Wow. Okay. There is Jupiter out there, but this is not Jupiter here. This is his star. We saw his star. It is a miraculous light. It is a star that God brought about. Later on, we will see that this particular star leads them to the exact place where Jesus lay. It is miraculous. It is not some lining up of things. Like they say, it is a miraculous star. Miraculous light directly brought them. So the Gentile magi were given revelation from God concerning Christ. It's possible they were uh, those who had been related to, to those from Daniel back uh, years ago. And so they have come to worship him, the king of the Jews. They've come to worship. Where is he who has been born, the king of the Jews? For we saw his star in the east, and we have come to worship him. Very interesting. Very little revelation. Very little revelation. And they have come to worship him. Obviously, they understood that this child who had been born king of the Jews was worthy of worship. And we don't worship anything but God. We worship God. We worship God. Well, how about you? Did you come today to worship him? Did you come to worship our great God and Savior? Did you come to worship Jesus Christ? 
You know, so often we can be distracted by the things of the day or the electrical stuff or the internet going out or whatever it might be, and we can forget why we've come together. We've come to worship the Lord. We've come to worship the Lord. Now notice we have the first response. Uh, we have response of King Herod and then the unexpected response of the Jews in Jerusalem. Verse 3, and when Herod the king heard it, he was very, or he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. So the news gets to Herod that there's these wise guys here, right? These wise men, they're here, these magi, and they're looking for he who has been born king of the Jews. They want to worship him. And here, Herod the king heard it, and he was troubled. The term means shaken up, stirred up. Stirred up. Uh, He is uh, unsettled. And obviously we can understand his feelings from a worldly perspective. He's the king of the Jews. And all of a sudden these dignitaries, this large group of people come and say, where is he who was born king of the Jews? You can understand Herod is having trouble with this. In light of his wicked character, uh, I understand his response. He is just like Satan. He's just like Satan, as we'll see. He's a murderer. He's a liar. And he wants to hold on to power. We see that. And he'll do anything to do so. He's just like his spiritual father, Satan, right? And so here, and then by the way, I mentioned that earlier, but there are two spiritual families. We are either in the family of God through faith in Jesus Christ, or you are by default uh, in the domain of darkness. And here, Herod certainly is in the domain of darkness, as we will say. And so he's really troubled. He's troubled. But notice this phrase. Uh, very, very interesting phrase, and all Jerusalem with him. To me, initially, that doesn't make sense. Why would the Jews who were waiting for their Messiah be troubled? Why would they be troubled with a group of, of magi coming in saying, where is he who's born king of the Jews? We've come to worship him. That doesn't sound threatening at all. Why would they be troubled on all Jerusalem with him? Well, let me suggest a possible answer why they were troubled. It's my belief that the Jews in the time of Herod were in unbelief. They knew the word of God. They claimed to know the God of the word, but they were in unbelief. Let me share some passages of those generations that, 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 that come after them also. Look at John 1, 9. John 1, 9. There was a true light which coming into the world enlightens every man. He was in the world, and the world was made through him. That's speaking of the Lord Jesus, by the way. And the world did not know him. He came to his own. That speaks of the Jews, by the way. This is uh, John 1.11 now. He came to his own, and those who were his own did not receive him. They were in unbelief, as we'll see. Uh, They were in unbelief. Uh, you might remember after Jesus fed the 5,000, uh, later those people saw him and, and he rebuked them because of their focus on the physical substance rather than what he was trying to show them, that he is the bread of life. And notice that, and I mentioned this before, but uh, John 6:35, Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me shall not hunger, and he who believes me shall never thirst. But I said to you that you have seen me and yet do not believe. Yet do not believe. They've seen the bread of life. They didn't believe. They didn't believe. And then I read this earlier, but John 10. Let's turn to John 10. 
John 10, verse 24, the Jews therefore gathered around him and were saying to him, how long will you keep us in suspense? If you are the Christ, tell us plainly. Jesus answered them, I told you, and you do not believe. The works which I, that I do in my Father's name, these bear witness of me. But you do not believe, because you are not of my sheep. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me, and I give them eternal life, and they shall never perish, and no one shall snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. I am the Father of one. Then the Jews took up stones again to stone him. Stones again to stone him. And you might remember what Jesus shared when he was coming into Jerusalem uh, on that uh, on that so-called triumphal entry. Uh, in Matthew 23, I'll read this for you, 37. O Jerusalem, O Jerusalem, who kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to her, how often I wanted to gather your children together the way a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, and you were unwilling. They would claim the name of the Lord, but they did not believe in the Lord. They did not believe in him. And when you don't believe in the Lord, when the Messiah contradicts your lordship, you're going to be troubled. When he shakes up your apple cart, when he rocks your boat, you're going to be troubled. You're going to be troubled. So they come, the Magi, the, who, where is he born? The king of the Jews, the, the Messiah has been born. Where is he? We want to worship him. And all of Jerusalem is agitated. They're, they're upset. They're, they're shaken up. They're shaken up. Now, probably they're shaken up because they're thinking, oh, Herod's going to have problems. We're going to have problems. They're thinking much like this. They're thinking about the Romans and all this stuff rather than the Messiah has been born. They have all this truth concerning the Messiah, all these prophecies, and they are now these magi coming saying, where is he? Where is he? Where is he who has been born? You see, if your uh, gospel doesn't fit your life, you're going to be agitated when you hear the true gospel. I mean, or if, it, if, you're, if the gospel doesn't fit your life, you're going to be agitated. You know, it gets in the way. It calls upon men to give up for themselves, to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, to, to give oneself to the Lord. To, to acknowledge him as the Lord. One pastor writes, uh, unbelieving Jews are just like all other unbelievers. They refuse to seek God or worship him. Being Jewish is no more inclines one to recognize God's salvation than being raised in a Christian home does. Proximity to truth is not enough. It's not shocking to find that when our Lord publicly presented himself to the nation some 30 years later, accompanied by signs and wonders, they failed as a nation to accept him as their king. And it was in Jerusalem that he was crucified. You see, I believe they don't believe. The Jews should have understood that a Messiah was going to be born. And they did, as we'll see in a moment, understand he would be born in Bethlehem. They knew the scriptures. They also had the scriptures that one would come to die for their sins because all of us, like sheep, have gone astray, but that the iniquity of us all would fall upon him. But they didn't believe the message. Isaiah would say, who has believed the message? Implying they didn't believe it. They didn't believe it. So because they did not believe the message, they were very troubled by those who were truly seeking to worship the Messiah, the King of the Jews, who had been born. 
And let me ask you this. Is this service troubling you? Is this, is this message troubling you? Does it agitate you? Does the word of God agitate you? Does it trouble you when you're around by those who truly are seeking to worship the Lord? Does it trouble you? Maybe this is an evidence of unbelief. Maybe there's unbelief in your heart and you need to turn and repent and trust in Jesus Christ and believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. So then, in their unbelief, I believe they were troubled. They they shouldn't have been troubled. As we're going to see a little later on, uh, they understood that he was only six miles away. We'd be born in Bethlehem. Let's just go take a look. If this is the case, let's go let's go take a look and see if the Messiah is here. Wow, I can't believe it. But no, they're troubled. These Jews did not seek to worship Christ, I believe, because they did not believe. So there's their response of unbelief, I believe, and tr- a troubling agitation. They're agitated. Agitated. And then notice we see Herod's response. And we, he has a cold and calculated deceptive plot to kill King Jesus. He's crafty. He's crafty. Uh, verse 4, And gathering together all the chief priests and scribes, Matthew chapter 2, of the people, he began to inquire of them where the Christ was to be born. And they said to him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for so it has been written by the prophet. And you, Bethlehem, land of Judea, are by no means least among the leaders of Judah. For out of you shall come forth a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod secretly called the Magi and ascertained from them the time the star appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go, make careful search for the child. And when you have found him, report to me that I too may come and worship him. Hmm. Okay, so Herod gathered together the chief priests, the scribes of the people, and he began to inquire of them where the Christ was to be born. Notice Herod believes that Christ is born. He actually believes. He believes like the demons, by the way. The demons believe and shudder, right? Uh, James chapter 2. So he inquires of the chief priest. Now that's a term. It wasn't a title. It was a term that spoke of the high priest, any ex-high priest, possibly the captain of the temple and some other priests, included the Sanhedrin, the 70. Uh, and these were the people who ruled Israel. They were the religious leaders. And the scribes of the people, they were not priests, but they were those who were learned in the law. They were those who were the, the theologians of, of Israel at that time. And so Herod, the unbeliever, inquires of these theocrats to where Jesus was to be born. And gathering together, chief priests describes the people. He began to inquire of them where the Christ was to be born. And what's their answer? They didn't say, oh, we don't know. No, they say pretty clearly what it is. And they said to him, in Bethlehem of Judea, for so it has been written by the prophet. They understood where the Messiah was to be born. And you, and they quote the Micah 5, 2, they quote it, You, Bethlehem, land of Judea, are by no means least among the leaders of Judah, for out of you shall come forth a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Very clear. Thanks for the question immediately. Immediately. They understand. A ruler, a shepherd will come. Simple answer. It's also important to recognize, I believe, the people understood also where the Messiah would come from. John chapter 7. Um, turn to John chapter 7. They understood too. You see, proximity to the truth is not good enough. There needs to be a heart that has been humbled and believes and believes. Convicted, humbled, and believes. John chapter 7, verse 40. 
Some of the multitude, therefore, some of the multitude, therefore, when they heard these words, were saying, "This is certainly the prophet." Others were saying, "This is the Christ." Still, others were saying, "Surely the Christ is not going to come from Galilee, is he?" He has has not the Scripture said the Christ that that the Christ comes from the offspring of David and from Bethlehem, the village where David was. Hey, they knew it. The people knew it. The people knew it. They knew it would be Bethlehem, house of bread, Bethlehem. So I find this very tragic at this point because the leaders knew, the people knew, they knew where the Messiah was to be born, and now we have these. Uh, Magi saying, where is he who's been born king of the Jews? And I don't find anyone except for Herod for nefarious reasons seeking to find out where the, where the, where the, where the boy is, where the, where the Messiah is. These leaders knew. The people knew. They could have gone six miles, a two-hour walk, to see, where, wow, we heard the Messiah's been born. Is he around? Is the Messiah? Is it possible? Could it be? Could it be the one who's going to save us from our sins has been born? Could it be? But no, they're agitated. And Herod is uh, agitated to the point, troubled to the point where he wants to take evil action. Must take evil action, as we'll see. You see, they could have gone. And for some of you, I'm not saying, I'm not saying, I don't know your hearts, the Lord knows your hearts, but for some of you listening, possibly, coming to church is a hurdle. It's a, it's a, it's a, church. You don't come to worship the Lord, you come because you gotta come. Or whatever it might be, or a Bible say whatever it might be, that's telling of where your heart is at. Where your heart is at. Maybe it's distracted by other things. Maybe it's hardened because of sin. Maybe it's you don't believe, you haven't come to faith yet. Whatever it might be. But these magi have gone incredible distances and lengths, as we've seen, to worship the Lord. And they're actually joyous about it, by the way. They're actually joyous about it. So then the leaders didn't seek to worship Christ because they didn't believe. The people didn't, yet these magi with limited revelation chose to do so. So here, now Herod knows where the child's been born. He believes, again, like the demons believe. And notice he then ascertains from the magi when that star appeared in the east. He wants timing because the star appeared in the, in, they saw his star, they saw it from the east, okay? They saw it, and, they, and Herod wants to know, when did that happen? Because that will tell me when he was born, and then from there, how old he is now. That's really what Herod's doing. Verse 7, then Herod secretly called the Magi and ascertained from them the time the star appeared. Man, is he hardened in his sin. Man, is he evil. He's, he's, uh, and so he's ascertaining. Now, we know later on in the book of uh, Matthew, obviously the star must have appeared in the east uh, no more than two or so years before. We see later on in verse 16 that Herod understood Matthew 2.16 and he slayed uh, everyone. Oh, let's read this. 2.16, we're right here. Then when Herod saw that he had been tricked by the Magi, he became very enraged and sent and slew all the male children who were in Bethlehem and all its environs from two years old and under according to the time which he ascertained from the Magi. So he, the Magi told him, hey, two years ago, his star appeared, and then they came to look for him, right? They came to look for him. So Herod knows the place, and he knows the approximate age of he who has been born king of the Jews. And so what does he do? Verse 8, And he sent them to Bethlehem, that's the Magi, and said, Go, make careful search for the child, uh, and when you have found him, report to me that I may come and worship him. 
Sounds good on the surface, doesn't it? Maybe Herod's had a change of heart. Herod must be a Christian, right? He wants to worship the Lord. Well, no, he doesn't. He's actually an evil man. Uh, he's doing the desires of his father, the devil, as we'll see in a moment in Revelation chapter 12. Uh, he desires to destroy the Christ, the child. Herod is not a Christian. Indeed, later on, we see that Joseph is warned in a dream to take the child to Egypt because of Herod's desire to slay him. Look at verse 13 in our passage up a little farther. Now, when they had departed, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream, saying, Arise and take the child and his mother and flee to Egypt and remain there until I tell you, for Herod is going to search for the child to destroy him. And later on, it says he killed all the kids. Destroy means kill. Kill. He's desiring to kill him. So some of you might say, well, I would never do that. I wouldn't, I wouldn't be like that. Well, in our actions, sometimes we put to death the thought of the Christ's lordship all the time. We did that before we came to faith. We heard about the truth. We didn't want anything to do with it at times, right? We wanted to do our things our way. We wanted, And Christ was just in the way, in the way. You know, it's, it's, the reality is the world, apart from Christ, hates Christ. Hates Christ. Uh, we see this in John, uh, 15. Jesus made it very clear. He said, if the world hates you, John 15, uh, 18, you know that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, uh, the world would love its own. But because you're not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, a slave is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will also keep yours. If you are a believer in Jesus Christ and you are manifesting the character of Christ, his righteousness in you, know that the world will hate you. Even those who deceitfully say they want to worship Christ. Even those who deceitfully say so. But they hate him because they hate they hate us because they hate him. So then, what's your attitude towards those who share the word of God to you? Is it one of agitation? Is it one of hatred? If it is, I posit to you that you need a savior. You need a savior from your sins, the Lord Jesus Christ. You need to be forgiven. So then we have the Jews stirred up. We have Herod, who is troubled. Um, we have the religious... Uh, uh, people, they're, they're apathetic and unwilling to go search for Christ. Herod deceitfully seeks to kill him, to, to go find him and kill him. And now we've had those responses. What about the response of the Gentile Magi? Notice this, verse 9. And having heard the king, they went on their way. And lo, the star which they had seen in the east went on before them until it came and stood over where the child lay. And when they saw the star, they, replay, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. Isn't that great? And they came into the house and saw the child with Mary, his mother. And they fell down and worshipped him. And opening their treasures, they presented to him gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh. That's wonderful. You see, the Magi believed that the Christ had been born and they desired to worship him. And they didn't give up on their search. They didn't give up. They saw the star from the east, and they came to Jerusalem. The Christ wasn't there, and it was, must have been a shock to them. They came to Jerusalem, the capital of the Jews. Where is he who's been born king of the Jews? 
but yet they were met with apathy and deception. How sad. But notice their joyous search continued. God was gracious and he brought that star. He brought the star, which led them until it stood over where the child lay. It appears again. It takes them right to the house. And by the way, you know, I like Christmas cards. I like Christmas cards, but don't get your theology from that. Uh, this star wasn't over the manger. It was over the house. He's now two years old. Okay. A little different. So they come. And it's hanging out over the house, the miraculous star that God used to direct these magi to Christ so that they could worship him. Isn't that great? And what was their response? What was their response? Let's get this trip over with? No. They rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. That's where our hearts should be when we come and worship the Lord. We hear about what he has done for us, who he is, and we sing his praises. Our hearts should be praising him and with great joy with great joy, exceedingly with great joy. And they understood it was his star. It was his star. And now they're not rejoicing in the sign. They're rejoicing in the Savior, rejoicing in the Savior. And so then they came into the house. Notice what happened, verse 11. And they saw the child with his mother. On a side note again, he's in a house right now, right? He's not in the manger at this point. Uh, and we see he's with his mother, Mary, and what do they do? What's their response? And they fell down and worshipped him. It's a visible, physical sign of worship and homage, of respect and honor. They fell down and worshipped him, this two-year-old babe. They fell down and worshipped him. You see, worship is only for God alone. Worship is for God alone. Deuteronomy 6.13, you shall fear the Lord your God and you shall worship him and swear by his name. In Revelation 22, we are to worship God. We're to worship God. Very clear. And they came into the house and saw his, the child with Mary, his mother. They fell down and worshiped him. This is genuine worship. It's not contrived by man. It's not pumped up by a, by a musical rock concert. It's not pumped up worship. It is worship of the Savior because of who he is, who he is. You see, Christ is the center of our worship. Christ is the center of our worship. Sadly, many churches have music as the center. Now, music can be glorifying to God, and it can point us to to him. Praise the Lord for that. We saw that in Nehemiah. There should be glorifying music that brings us to thank him. No doubt about that. But that's not the thing. It's the, it's the, it's the savior behind the music, right? The one we're looking at and praising and worshiping. So here we have genuine worship bowing before the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And let me ask you this. Do you do this on Sundays? Do we come and bow our hearts before him? We bow down and we worship him. We praise him. Yes, it's kind of hard in a basement. It's hard. You've got pipes around. You've got internet going on and off and stuff like that. But uh, we need to refocus and worship him and praise him for who he is. They fell down and worshiped him. And notice that worship continued as they gave. Notice this word, very interesting. As I was studying this, they presented uh, an opening their treasures. They were their treasures. They were their personal treasures. They were their treasures. They presented to him gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh. They opened their treasures. Their treasures. 
You know, they certainly were giving with the heart that we see in the New Testament. God loves a cheerful giver, uh, a heart that uh, is reverent and and sees the Lord as worthy of worship in that context. And they presented him their treasures. And notice it says, in opening their treasures, they presented to him gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh. And many commentators say, oh, this is probably how you know Mary and Joseph funded their thing. I don't really care about that part. The reality is God wants us to know that they presented these gifts to him, to him, their treasures. Certainly gold represented wealth and power. He's the king, right? Frankincense was an incense that was used in temple worship. Certainly that points to his deity, I believe. And then... We see even that in, in, in Isaiah 60, verse, verse 4. Actually, let's turn, turn to Isaiah chapter 60. We see in the millennium there's going to be worship of the Lord with gold and frankincense. Worship of the Lord. Isaiah 60, verse 6. And a multitude of camels will cover you. The young camels of Midian and Ephah and those from Sheba will come. They will bring gold and frankincense and will bear good news of the praises of the Lord. Isn't that great? Isn't that great? And he says here, And the flocks of Keter will be gathered together to you. The rams of uh, Naoboth will minister to you, and they will go up with the acceptance of my altar, and I shall glorify my glorious house. Isn't that great? But what about the myrrh? Well, myrrh was used in beauty treatments. It was mixed with vinegar as, a, as an anesthetic. Um, it's also used to anoint and prepare bodies for burial. We know in John 19.39 that Nicodemus brought about 100 pounds, a very wealthy man, brought 100 pounds of myrrh uh, to prepare Jesus' body for burial. So we have gold representing his, uh, his, 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 gold representing his, uh, his wealth and power as king, his frankincense, his deity, and I believe the myrrh uh, points to the fact that he would suffer and die for our sins. He's the only one worthy of worship, and that's exactly what these Gentile magi did. Now, at this point, as we finish up, we see that there is a testimony to their true faith, their genuine faith, because true faith obeys. When we believe the Lord, we obey. When we're trusting him, we obey. Notice verse 12, back in our passage. And having been warned by God in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed for their own country by another way. So they were warned, don't go back to Herod. And these magi obeyed the Lord. They obeyed the Lord. I don't see any questions. They had a real relationship. They came to worship the Lord, and they did. And they offered their gifts, and they obeyed, and they obeyed. So then we've seen three responses to the birth of King Jesus, the king who brings salvation. We saw the first, the Jews, who had much information concerning the Messiah. These Jews were troubled. They were agitated. They were apathetic. They were unbelieving. Then we saw Herod, a murderous madman, who saw Christ as opposition that must be destroyed as evidenced by an unrestrained heart of unbelief. By the way, unbelief really points to, you know, you see hatred and murder in that, but people are restrained because of society. Herod had no restraint. He had no restraint. And lastly, we saw the Magi, with very little revelation, went to great lengths to find and worship the Christ. And when they found him, they did worship him in the context of obedience and gratitude and gratitude. 
So let me ask you, who are you like today? Who are you like? Does the truth of God trouble you? Does it agitate you? Or does it cause you to, your heart to bow down before him, to praise him and worship him? We need to come together and we need to redirect our hearts and prepare our hearts, direct them to worship our great God and Savior, God who took on human flesh and died for our sins. Let's pray. Father, I thank you so much for this truth, and I pray that we would continue day in and day out offering ourselves as living sacrifices, acceptable form of worship, Lord, we know that, that we would worship in spirit and in truth, that we would, not just as we gather together, but that we would we would uh, offer ourselves on a moment-by-moment basis uh, to worship you, to praise you, to honor you for who you are and what you've done, to exalt your son Jesus, who is worthy of all worship. We pray this in his precious name. Amen.